Hey, it's Liz Kelly. I want to tell you about our great football coverage on the Ringer Podcast Network. Every Monday, Bill Simmons and Cousin Sal recap the weekend and guess next week's NFL lines on the BS Podcast. On Wednesday mornings, Ryan Russillo hits the hardest angles in college and pro football on our new podcast, Dual Threat. And on Wednesday nights, Cousin Sal and the Degenerate Trifecta figure out the best gambling angles on Against All Odds. And five times per week, the Ringer NFL show reacts to the latest news with Kevin Clark, Robert Mays, Tate Frazier, Mike Lombardi, and the Danacy football crew. Subscribe to the BS Podcast, Dual Threat, Against All Odds, and the Ringer NFL show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. It is Tuesday. It is September 25th. And on the line, it is Mr. Michael Lombardi. Lombardi, how you doing? I'm good, Tate Frazier. I'm not as good as you, man, but I'm good. Life is good. Week four, three of the NFL was awesome. So everything's good, you know. The book's doing good. People are, you know, I got to do some. I did Corolla last week. That was fun. I did Pardon My Take. That was fun. So life's good, man. I'm, I'm doing good. A lot of people helping me out with the book, and I greatly appreciate everybody who's bought it and uh, said nice things about it. Uh, it. It's really been great. And the book, again, is Gridiron Genius. And I will say last Wednesday, uh, Lombardi, you were nice enough to let me come down to the last bookstore in downtown Los Angeles. Got to see a lot of people out in the world enjoying your book. Uh, I have not had a chance to listen to your Pardon My Take podcast, but I had a couple of my buddies who are big fans of that program text me and say you did a great job. So I'm very happy to hear that. Uh, I am in Maui at the moment. Uh, I am in Chris Berman territory. So I am here staring out uh, at the moon at 6 a.m. in the morning. But Lombardi, we got to talk about Monday Night Football last night. We got to talk about from Fitz Tragic to Fitz Magic. The Steelers might be back. <laughs> Big Ben's out there uh, throwing dimes again. What did you see last night on Monday Night Football? It reminded me when I was at the Raiders, you know, we would always uh, on road trips, particularly sometimes at night after a game, but I would get on the plane and all the coaches sat in first class and and I did too. And so we get on the plane and I would always either be the first one on or he would be the last one on depending on how they got him onto the plane. But so anyway, when he would get on the plane, if we lost, he would just walk to his seat and stand there and just stare at everybody like just with this evil, evil look, right? And all the coaches would mm. just bury their heads down into their trays, you know, and just pretend that he actually wasn't looking at them. But he was always obsessed with figuring out why we won and why we lost. And the same thing with Belichick. I mean, Belichick, after every single game, makes the offensive, defensive, and special teams coordinators fill out sheets. And basically, it goes over things we did well, things we did poorly, things, you know, this it does an autopsy of the game. So you can really get to the root of why you won and why you lost. And last night, to me, was a game that Fitzpatrick came down to the, you know, we we talked about his mean regression. He was going to have that all the way, right? We knew he was going to have a bad game eventually. It wasn't going to go this long. But at the end of the half, the Bucks are sitting there. They're down 23 to 10. They get, make a great play at the two-minute warning. Mike Evans makes an incredible catch. I mean, like, unbelievable catch. It's almost like he's playing with a mm-hmm. Nerf ball, the way the ball just sticks to his hands, you know? And, and then you get the ball first and goal at the five with two minutes to go, and the Steelers have all their timeouts. Well, you know, the, the the Bucks do the smart thing. They run it, right? Okay, it starts moving the clock. The Steelers don't call timeout. They're just going to sit there and let it go. Well, the Steelers don't call timeout. That tells you, you better run it again on second down. At least keep them, make them blurring a timeout because they're challenging you to throw it. Of course, naturally, the Bucks throw it on second down, incomplete, throw it on third down, incomplete, settle for the three points. Okay, great. Now they're down 23 to 13. We're then 10 points. They left the Steelers three timeouts. And naturally, what did the Steelers do? Drive all the way down the field and score 30. They score a touchdown, which is their 30th point of the game and wins the game for them. And nobody on TV talks about it. I mean, nobody. I mean, McFarlane talks the whole game. I mean, I don't know why he's down there on the field. Do you have any idea why he's there? I'm not quite sure. I think uh, we, we mentioned this last week. Eventually, Booger's going to have to get in the booth with those guys, you would think. Uh, but uh, I did find it interesting. I mean, it ended up being 125 on the clock for Roethlisberger and the Steelers. They go down. Uh, they, they get the points. And obviously, that ends up you know leading to the win, 30-27, to 27 is the final score for the Steelers. I thought it was interesting. I saw you tweet this. Is that We have all these referees uh, that come in, you know, Mike Pereira types that come in and explain the games, the rule, the rule of game, the rules of the game, in, in fact. Um, and, and we don't have someone that comes in and explains that you know maybe you do run that to get that clock down and keep it a 10 point game and don't give Big Ben the ball back you know what I mean there was no one that brought that up and 
when that happens, the Steelers get all the momentum going into halftime. And yes, Ryan Fitzpatrick threw the three picks in the second quarter. And yes, you know, when he got back from halftime, you know, he looked like he was back uh, to being himself again, or at least the, the version of Ryan Fitzpatrick we've seen so far this season. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the Steelers won that game uh, in one half, right? They won it on that play. Look, if you're Dirk Cotter and you got the ball, it's, you're down 23 to 10. You got to be saying to yourself, look, we're not giving them the ball back. And if we do, the worst thing we can do is give up a field goal. He's not watching the same game I'm watching. His defense really couldn't stop anybody, right? So like, why do you yeah. think all of a sudden you're just going to become macho man and give it up? Like, watch the game. Like, we got to run the clock. And and look, I look, the TV and I wrote about it in the book. You know, guys that play the game don't understand game management. Just because you're an ex-player doesn't mean you know game management. You got to live it. You got to watch it every single day. And those two guys, and you know, Jason and, and and Booger, I mean, they don't really understand game management. They've never had a call a game. I mean, you know, they, they're they coming off as the experts of the game. And people are saying, well, Lombardi, you just want to get in the booth. No, I have no interest in doing booth. I think that's really a hard job. But I do have an interest mm-hmm. in trying to educate people about the game and why teams win and why teams lose. And if it's not happening on the broadcast, how are people going to learn about it? Like that was a perfect example. They never even mention it. I'll give you a better one, Tate Frazier. And, and people say, well, the coaches have to know. Coaches never know. Like just take the Atlanta New Orleans game. Okay. I'm watching New Orleans play and they're just like, New Orleans is the greatest machine of all time on offense. Like I'm truly mm-hmm. convinced New Orleans should never punt. Like Drew Brees is so good. They should never punt. They should go foot on every fourth down. They'll make it. There's no way you can tell me the Saints aren't going 10 yards on four plays. There's just no way. They're so well designed. They have the perfect play called at the perfect time. I mean, their execution is outstanding. Their line comes off the ball. Mm-hmm. Like you take the Atlanta game, Tate Frazier. Okay. Atlanta's winning. Atlanta's up 14 to 13. There's a minute 16 to go in the game. And the Atlanta's got third and five at their own 14-yard line. And New Orleans has two timeouts left, right? You got to be thinking here, we're on a short field. You know, we're we're not going to score here. Like the opponent isn't the Saints scoring. Like we're not going to score. We're not going to make a play here. Like let's just let them, let's run it and see if they'll use one of their timeouts, right? And naturally, of course, of course, Sark calls a pass. They don't get it, right? And what happens? New Orleans scores three points at the end of the half, make it 16 to 14. On You know, they do it. Go right down the field, do it. And nobody talks about it. Like, we don't even talk about it. Like, those three points cost Atlanta the game. But we don't talk about it. It is very strange that we get into those situations with the game management. And you brought up that Atlanta game, and it is a total back and forth affair. And obviously, that Saints offense is really impressive. But Atlanta has been, you know, decimated on defense with some of these injuries. We saw a little bit of that come out. But I just want to point out, and I didn't do this last week, but Michael Top. You talked about Mike Evans and, and what he was able to do in that game for the Bucks, but Michael Thomas, uh, what he's been able to do in these first three games so far this season, he's got 38 catches, 398 yards, and three scores so far. I mean, that is um, otherworldly at this point. Um, it, it, and it just seems like, like you said, I mean, Drew Brees in this Saints offense, they're completely rolling. They win this game in overtime. And and yet again, I mean, we see Brees being able to handle a shootout like, you know, it's 2008, 2009 at this point, and, and there's no signs of him going away. Um, but but just on the other side of things with Atlanta, I mean they're going to have to be in all these shootouts, right? We talked about the Mahomes and the Chiefs; they have to they have to outscore people, sort of similar with the, with the Falcons, right? With all these injuries on defense. Well, they do, but I think you have to control the pace of the game. I think the key for the Saints to win and to really compete with the Rams for the NFC title, because I mean, look, let's face it, the Rams are good on paper; they're good on the field. And now I know yes. they've lost to Lee for a while, and maybe they might lose. Peters for a little bit this Peters. week. Some people say he's mm-hmm. coming back to play just as a calf strain, but whatever. doesn't matter. I mean, their defense is good. They can rush the passer. So the Rams, I mean, with Jimmy Garoppolo getting injured in the West, and we'll talk about that more later. I mean, the Rams, you might as well just give them the West right now. Seattle's not beating them. Arizona ain't beating them for sure. So give them the West now and perhaps give them home field. But to beat, but the Saints could beat them because the Saints, if the Saints are smart how they play, the Saints have to limit their defense to 27 minutes. That's all they can play of defense. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like they got to go in the game saying, look, we're not playing more than 27 minutes of defense. You know, we can't do it. We have to control the clock more. We have to we have to extend drives longer. We've got to make it play. If you can play complimentary football, you have a chance. Atlanta 
has to do the same thing. They're down five starters on defense this week as they face the Bengals, right? So they lose two more guys mm-hmm. last week. And, you know, you don't have enough guys to come back from. So they're going to have to rely on playing less defense. The answer, is, the answer isn't always playing better defense. The answer is playing less defense. And especially the way the rules are now, less defense means the win. And I learned this from watching the Eagles last year. Hell, the Eagles gave up 613 yards in 26 minutes in the Super Bowl and won the game. I had a coach from the Patriots call me after the Super Bowl and say, what just happened? Like, it it was so, you know, it's like, what just happened? Like, how did that happen? Like, I have no idea. They just, you move the ball up and down the field on them and you, they, they won. And so that's, to me, the approach you got to take. And New Orleans can do it so well. New Orleans is, like, their execution is beyond. When, when I look at execution, I look at rushing attempts plus completions. That tells me how a team's playing. And when you're over 52, you're doing well. The Saints were at 66 last week. That is very impressive. And we should say the Saints do have marking room coming back in a couple of weeks, and that will help them with uh, some time of possession and obviously have an ability to, uh, to rely more on that running game. Um, this is what we always do each week. We do the five performances that jumped out. Uh, these will be the five performances that jumped out to Lombardi from week three. First up is a guy that um, he's getting comparisons to 1984 Dan Marino. And as soon as you hear that, uh, we can already say that uh, that that is high praise. And that is Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs. The Chiefs uh, go in and they take on Jimmy G um, and the 49ers, unfortunately. We did not get the shootout that we all hope from these two quarterbacks as Jimmy G goes down with the torn ACL. We'll get into that in a minute. But first off, let's talk about Mahomes Lombardi. Again, he comes out uh, and continues to deliver the goods for all the Chiefs fans. And uh, he, he he just continues to show that he's not afraid to throw the ball down the field. And, uh, you know, throwing 50 touchdowns does not seem like uh, it's out of this world at this point. Um, what do you what did you see from the Chiefs and obviously from Mahomes himself? I think Mahomes has been sensational, and I think he deserves all the praise, and so does Andy Reid. But they've played three of the worst defenses I've seen on tape so far this season. I mean, the 49ers, Mm -hmm. I have no idea what they're trying to accomplish on defense. You know, they play truly battleship defense. They're calling stuff. They're hoping. Between them and Green Bay, I have no idea what they're trying to accomplish on defense. And then, you know, the week before Pittsburgh, we know how bad they are on defense, and they opened up against the Chargers. Really, they weren't. I mean, this week against Denver, we'll get a good idea about Mahomes, not because I think Denver's very good. I think they're secondary is nowhere near where it was two years ago. But at least they can rush. And I think for for a team playing Kansas City, you're going to have to make them play left-handed. You've got to figure out how to do that. Right now, they have answers to everything you try to do on them. And Mahomes has been able to make loose plays. He's been able to make pocket plays. And, you know, Randy Reed calls such a good game. He keeps you off balance. And so it's hard to make them play left-handed. Mahomes, I, I thought... Watson, you know, Deshaun Watson was great in the beginning of the season last year, but Mahomes with a year to watch and learn, he's been unbelievable. His accuracy is remarkable. I mean, not only does he throw the ball with great velocity, his accuracy is unbelievable. And so with that, you know, I mean, the Chiefs, look, the Chiefs are horrible on defense, but, you know, they get off the field, you know, they play good third down defense. So that's really all that matters. They're off the field at 27% of the time. You can't convert. So every time you punt back to the Chiefs, you got to think you got to think you're giving up points. You're playing a Big 12 mm-hmm. game, and if you don't change your thinking when you play the Chiefs on how you approach it, like you, you're just out of your mind. I mean, like the other night when Matt Patricia, it's got four, he's driving the ball down the field the entire first drive of the game, right? He has no problem gaining five yards. He gets fourth and inches, and he settles for a field goal. Like, are you watching the same game I'm watching? Like, you know, you, if you're playing Brady, three points typically in the past never matter. Go for it. You know, you got to do it. You got to watch the game. You're playing the Chiefs. Every third down call you make against the Chiefs defense, you better be really good because if you punt it back to Mahomes, you're in trouble. Yeah, and Mahomes goes 24 for 38. He gets 314 yards, three TDs. Again, uh, continues to impress. I thought it was interesting what you just brought up, though. He's going to go you know, play this Denver Broncos front line, go against Von Miller, go against Chubb. Those guys are going to get in his face. So it'll be the first time we'll see uh, Mahomes deal w- w- with a little bit of pressure. I also saw one little tidbit, Lombardi, uh, just speaking about that Chiefs defense and trying to ramp it up. Um, there's a there's a bit of a rumor out there. There's, there's a chance that the Chiefs would be interested in trading for Earl Thomas. Of course, Earl Thomas had another great game uh, against the Cowboys, getting two picks. The One of the picks was a, a very fortunate, but again, at the end of the day on the stat sheet, it is two interceptions. And if Earl Thomas was a guy they tried to bring in to Kansas City, do you think that can can, can do something to make them a, a true contender and help them on defense? Or is that just, a, you know, just an added piece that may be a, a nice tool in the shed? Uh, gives him a playmaker. I mean, this guy, the guy's around the ball every play. I mean, you know, what he did against mm-hmm. Dallas, I mean, he's around the ball. He made plays. He, he's, 
instinctive. You know, he controls the third level of the defense, which is so important, especially when you're playing against some teams that make big plays. I mean, Miami lived off big plays last week against the Raiders, but so... You know, I think that's really important. I can't see Seattle. I mean, he's the best player on their defense. They're rebuilding. I mean, I think at some point, you know, and I've always been in Seattle's corner on this one in terms of letting him play it out. But I think to me, Seattle needs to stop it. I mean, Seattle is not going to be any good on defense if they trade him. And they're going to have to build around that guy. And I think if they could extend him, I think that's what Seattle needs to do. To me, enough is enough. We need to have a meeting of the minds and kind of come to some resolution because this is all about the green stuff, right? I mean, he'll get happy. Mm-hmm. Le'Veon Bell will get happy. All Everybody will get happy once they get green stuff. As soon as you get paid, uh, a lot of people start to put smiles on their faces. And we should say, uh, as far as a hat tip to maybe what's in the future, Camp Chancellor came out in that game against the Cowboys. Uh, the fans in Seattle were very excited to see him. Uh, they, they played a little bit reminiscent to that 2012 version of the Legion of Boom. And, uh, you know, all, all signs point to maybe Earl Thomas and, and the Seahawks can figure out a way to keep this thing going. Um, uh, just speaking about, we brought, we brought up Mahomes in that Chiefs game. Jimmy G does go down. I mean, obviously, this is a performance that stood out. But just seeing Jimmy G go down, after throwing those two touchdowns, a torn ACL. Um, this obviously changes the entire trajectory of the season for that 49ers team. Um, obviously, hurts to see Jimmy G go down, but just implications and all that. I mean, obviously, a little bit of a slow start for him, but but after what we saw with the five wins last year and then coming out to a slow start this year, just an overall assessment of, of where we are in the Jimmy G-Kyle Shanahan marriage. I think it's disappointing. I mean, you know, look, the, this roster for San Francisco, they lose two high-priced free agents. You know, they signed Jimmy to an extension. They lose the running back, McKinnon. Uh, you know, that he's he's out for I mean, they've had two really bad injuries. And when you have that, mm-hmm. th- this team might be competing for the first pick in the draft. I mean, C.J. Beathard, okay, say he's gotten better, good luck. Well, you know, we talked about it this, this, this summer on GM Street about which team's going to lose a quarterback and then have the first or second pick in the draft because there's no backup. And we and we specifically mm-hmm. talked about San Francisco about that, and, and they could. I mean, their defense is horrendous. I know they've got Solomon Thomas in the first round. I know they've got you know Buckner first round. They've got Armstead first round. They can't they they, they can't do anything. I mean Ramon Fo- I mean Ruben Foster missed more tackles last week than he made in the game. I mean they were not very good. Richard Sherman's now out one to two weeks with a calf injury. Now that's really a surprise. An older player that gets hurt, really, that's a shocker. <laughs> you know, so mm. you, you know, I, I just think the, the the 49ers are not a very talented roster, and they're playing in a division. Maybe they'll beat the maybe they'll beat the Cardinals, and maybe they can beat split with Seattle, but I think it's going to be a hard sledding for them to win some games. And and it was going to be hard with Jimmy because their defense really, I mean, they didn't slow the Lions down. They didn't never slowed Kansas City down. And in the first game, Kirk Cousins looked sensational against them and he hasn't looked the same since, except for the fourth quarter against Green Bay. Let's stay in the NFC West and let's talk about the showdown in, in Los Angeles and uh, that Phillip Rivers Chargers team and the LA Rams that they, they, they go on and, and try to figure out who was going to be uh, the king of the city of angels. And it looks like right now the Los Angeles Rams are, are basically the cream of the crop in the NFL at this point. Uh, they continue to show off. Jared Goff, uh, 29 for 36, 354 yards, three touchdowns, one pick. Todd Gurley continues to be uh, unstoppable at this point. 23 carries, 105 yards and a touchdown. Um, just looking at that Rams team, Lombardi and I mean seeing what they did against that Chargers team and the Chargers have but you know they played the class in the AFC and the class in the NFC they're a team that looks like you know they have a chance to to make the playoffs this season but but to see the Rams continue to uh, dominate these games and and dictate really the terms of how the game is going to be be played across the board is pretty impressive right yeah it really is everybody talks about defense you know defense wins the game but to me when you're so good on offense I learned this with the 49ers and then when we were good in Oakland and certainly in New England the offense can control the pace. And the offense, when you're good on offense, you can go on the road and win. When you're good on defense, it's harder to win on the road. I think we saw that with Chicago struggling to win in Arizona. You know, when you're good on mm-hmm. offense, the road's your friend because you can score points and points against a team that's not great, whether they play home or away, really affects them. And so this is why the Rams are so good. I mean, they 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 never take their foot off the gas. I mean, to me, the lock of the week was them winning by more than seven and a half last week. We talked about it on Friday, GM Street. I mean, they were just always going to try to try to beat them down, and, and and I thought Goff played really well. Look, I think the Chargers, anytime they're in a game against higher level of competition, I would say stay away from them. If you're a better, I I would invent the Charger rule. You know, you want to call it the Anthony Lynn rule, the Charger rule, whatever it is. But when they play <laughs> against a good level of comp, stay away. The Chargers have yet to prove they can beat good teams. Until they do it, why would you bet on them? 
I do want to point out one guy on the Chargers that I think that uh, is sort of gone under the radar, and that's Mike Williams, a guy who obviously was a top 10 pick last year. I uh, guess four receptions, 81 yards, two touchdowns in that game yesterday, showed some real signs. And it, it, I, I don't know, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It did, it did sort of feel as you watch this Chargers uh, offense versus Rams offense, it, it felt like the Rams were just the better version of the Chargers and the way they were setting up Gordon. Gurley's, you know, the better, sort of like the better version of Gordon. And I don't know, I, as you watch those two teams, you just kind of saw a different class, uh, you know, like a first class offense and then you know phil rivers and those guys can get there but uh you know they kind of shoot themselves in the foot a little bit well i think what you saw Tate Frazier, you saw one coordinator that kind of attacks coverages in the chargers and then mm. you saw another coordinator sean mcveigh attack the adjustments in the coverage and that's what that there lies the difference and i think his adjustments mm. his ability to do it i mean it's the same thing with the saints i mean they just do a, such a great job of attacking coverages they call the game really well they don't care about third down they've got good third down plan they don't have a, a, a you know they don't have a, a small third down playlist they've got a large one and they can execute their execution's really good and i think their offensive line aaron cromer the line coach for the rams has done a really good job that line's gotten better from year one to year two it's it was the weak link i thought last year this year it's not been that case i think they're playing much better and you know look i I think the Chargers are a good team, but I think defensively they're a little bit of a myth because they've played the Chiefs, couldn't slow them down. They played the Rams, couldn't slow them down. And if you're a good team on defense, you can slow an opponent down. They haven't been able to. One thing I know for sure, McVay knows how to attack Seattle's coverages. And I say Seattle because that's what the Chargers run. Chargers run Seattle's coverages. And so McVay really knows how to attack them. And if you're the same, if you're the... If you're uh, Anthony Lynn, you got to think to yourself, look, they kind of know us. We're going to have to play it differently. Like you take the game against Atlanta, played New Orleans. New Orleans kind of altered what they did and late, in the, late in the game when, when Atlanta got the ball back when the score was tied before overtime. They kind of changed a little bit what they do. Caught Atlanta completely off guard. And if you can do that, you can do that. You, you can create some wins for you on cell phone defense, but in reality, they never did. They never do that at, at uh, the Chargers, and that's why that will be their downfall. And let's talk about the downfall of a, a few teams and, and sort of like to just just some shocking developments as far as uh, what happened in week three. And I think the first one that really jumps out to a lot of people and uh, I think a lot of people had this as their lock of the week, you know, something to keep an eye on talking about that Bills team. We talked about the the struggles of Josh Allen, even though in this game he ends up, you know, running for score, scoring two rushing touchdowns, throwing for a touchdown as well. The Vikings come out completely behind the eight ball. Cousins is having to throw the ball 55 times. But in general, that Bills defense comes out um, early. We had fumble problems with the Vikings and it, this is probably I mean I, you know how much you can take away from this you know well, you know who knows at this point it is week three but the Bills come out and get a, a very surprising win 27 to 6 over the Vikings and uh, I, I don't know Lombardi is this cause for concern if you're a Vikings fan or is this one of those things where you kind of wash it away and move on you no, know, I, I think it's a concern. They look slow on defense. They they did not look explosive. Everson Griffin didn't play in the game. They didn't really rush mm -hmm. the passer. I thought this I thought Buffalo did a really good job of giving Josh Allen a little bit of offense that he could execute. And we've talked about this on GM Street. They got to start building the Josh Allen offense. And for the first time all season, they did. And there was not a lot of hard throws, bubble screens, screens, you know, some flares. Really didn't have to make a lot of hard throws, which was great. Had a couple deep throws he made. The guys didn't make the catch on him. But I thought it was perfect. And then Buffalo did exactly what they've done in the past Why they were a playoff team. They turned the ball over. Jerry Hughes was sensational. Mm. And if you're a Viking fan, you have to be concerned. You couldn't block these guys at home. Now, this week, you got to go out to Los Angeles, and you got to block a really good front with a bad offensive line. And you know my rule, bad lines don't travel well. So I, I, I think it's going to be a challenge for the Vikings, especially defensively. They didn't look themselves. They looked slow. Anthony Barr wasn't the same player, had a hard time tackling in space, got a ton of penalties. I mean, every time you turned around, there was a penalty on the Vikings, and it, they really weren't crisp. They took that team for granted. I mean, Tate Frazier, I'm sitting there at Tony P's, I missed you, but you weren't there. But halftime scores, it's 27 to nothing. Buffalo's up, right? It's 35 to 7. Yeah, the Chiefs are up. It's 20 to 6. Yep. The Giants are up. It, it's 28 to 10. Uh, I forget who was up in 28 to 10. And then 30 to 10 last night at halftime. I mean, it was like, oh, 28 to 10 was Washington over, over Green Bay. 20, mm -hmm. I mean, there's five, there were five games that at halftime, th there was, over 20 points scored in every one of them. 20 or more points scored in every one. It's remarkable. I mean, so look, I, I think if you're a Viking fan, you got to be concerned. But more than anything, if you're a Bill fan, you got to be happy that Josh, they, they finally, now this week, they'll add more to what Josh Allen can do.
Is there anything to point to that? I mean, is that just all preparation to come out and just completely flat-footed? I mean, obviously, I understand that the Vikings, I mean, it, you see this Bills team and what they've what they've done early in the season. Maybe they, you know, glossed over this game, especially with a Thursday night game coming up against the LA Rams, you know, trying to see if who's going to be the class in the NFC. I mean, it could be one of those situations. Obviously, Dalvin Cook did not play uh, in that game at all uh, for the Vikings, and they're trying to save him for Thursday night. But but just all the, you mentioned all those, like, early deficits. I mean, is that a, is that a trend across the league or is that just something that just randomly happened this week? I, I don't know. I don't know. I think it was the Thursday night game. I think they were looking ahead. I don't think they stayed in the moment. I, and I think they got too focused on, hey, we got Thursday night. We'll beat these Bills team, you know, and then we'll move on. They didn't give the Bills enough respect. And every team, I mean, look, it's pretty clear. Any given Sunday rule, we could see it. I mean, you know, Arizona should have beaten the should have beaten the Bears the other night. They had every chance to beat them. They couldn't do it. I mean, you can see it every week in the NFL. There's games that, I mean, look, the Titans went into Jacksonville and won the game. Uh, every week mm-hmm. I do notes. And, and m- when you research that game, the Titans versus the Jags, everything in the notes told you it was going to be a close game. Everything Absolutely. that you looked at in prior games said it was close. The line was seven. It started, it went up to, I think it went up to almost 10 by the time the game kicked. And, and I kept saying, and I wrote my lead note was, everything tells me this game's close except my eyes. Like, there's no way I thought that Tennessee could come close in that game. There's just no way, right? And Bortles did what Bortles typically does, is he made no plays. He got hit early in the game, and his accuracy went off. He couldn't run with the ball like he did against New England because New England's slow on defense, so he couldn't make any plays with his feet. His longest play of the game was a 19-yard pass that was a hook and lateral play. They couldn't get the ball down the field. And the Mm -hmm. Titans just basically did nothing on offense and won the game. And we've we've seen that Jaguars team struggle with that Tennessee team. I mean, it happened last year a couple of times. Uh, obviously, they they can't depend on the running game right now with Fournette out, and it went back to Bortles being a guy that had to sling the ball around. And it, uh, I think it was four point six uh, yards per attempt yesterday for Blake Bortles. Um, and you know, you compare that to to some of these. Uh, Keep telling uh, you, he's the great equalizer. He's the he's the only thing keeping Jacksonville close to the pack in the AFC. He's the only thing. He's the only thing. And if it's Jacksonville and, and the Rams in the Super Bowl, if that comes to fruition, if that's what happens, you know, you 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 think that you think that Blake's going to be able to move the ball consistently on a Rams front? I don't think so. I just don't. Especially if you have speed on defense, get, where he can't beat you with your feet. You know, everybody said, "Well, he played great against the Patriots." The Patriots make every quarterback look great. I mean, the, if, if mm-hmm. Colt McCoy went into the game, he would look great against the Patriots. You know, it's not hard to look great against the Patriots. They're too slow on defense. They got to fix it. It could have turned around, maybe. It is interesting that Blake Bortles is probably faster around the edge than most uh, most of the guys the Patriots have on defense. Uh, you mentioned the parody in the league, and uh, I, I think that was the Tagliabue, right? I mean, that's his thing. He any given Sunday he wanted to, to have parody in the NFL, and uh, it goes back to Pete Rozelle before you were born. I don't even know who made that line, but it, it was true. And if and I think going, I'm trying to answer your question about the Vikings. I think the Vikings looked ahead. I think they got so caught up in how bad Buffalo was, and I'm sure Mike Zimmer had a hard time showing the Viking players, good Buffalo plays. Like you got to get your, Mm. you got to get your team. Like, like for example, New England this week, there's, there's no doubt Belichick will have their full attention because they're, you know, they're so bad and they played so bad that he's got their full attention. Miami, on the other hand, I mean, when you look at their situation, you got to sit there and say, okay, they've played so well. They're going to, they're playing New England. Okay, that's a step up game. So you don't have to worry about getting your team motivated for that. But when you have to play a team that's not very good after, and you know you have to play another game that's good, it's hard to get your team up for it. Especially when you have a, a short week with those things. I, you mentioned the Patriots and you mentioned that Lions game. I do. Uh, I saw your piece that you put up on the Athletic, and I, and I thought this was an interesting quote. And you said the foundation of the Patriots' success on offense relies on trust. It's as vital as any play is any play they execute. And right now, it's obvious that Tom Brady does not trust his teammates. And uh, you know, you mentioned about you know overlooking a team. I, I didn't know if there was any chance that maybe that was something that happened with the Patriots. Obviously, knowing Patricia really well, um, but 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 it does seem like the Patriots' offense as much as every single year it feels like for the past five to six years we uh, we freak out early in the season about the Patriots and we ask if the dynasty is over uh, and again I'm going to ask those same questions because this is the NFL and this is what we do but it, it does seem like that Patriots offense is not clicking right now and uh, and Brady and Belichick are really trying to, to, to put the pieces together to get that offense going. 
Right. I mean, when you look at it, Tate Frazier, so they lose Amadola, there's 61 catches. They lose Brandon Cooks, there's 65 catches. They lose Deion Lewis, there's 900 yards of offense. So those three players, mm-hmm. really, they touch the ball 33% of the time for the Patriots offense, and they haven't been replaced. When Edelman comes back, I'm sure he can replace Amadola. Can Josh Gordon replace Brandon Cooks? That's what the hope for, because Kenny Britt couldn't and Jordan Matthews couldn't. I don't see Sonny Michelle right now replacing Deion Lewis. They need him to. They need a loose play back back there. They need somebody they can swing the ball to, can make somebody miss in the flat and get 15 yards. Dion did it against Jacksonville. You know, he's got quickness. He's got lateral burst. He can turn a one-yard play into an eight. They don't have that. James White is a catcher. James White goes down too easily. He's not a runner. He's a catcher. And if he's got space to run, he's effective. But if he can't, you know, if he doesn't have space, he's not getting any extra yards. And I think that's the problem. And the other issue is Gronk doesn't have the same quickness that he once had. I mean, the great combination of Gronk and Aaron Hernandez, Aaron Hernandez was quick. Gronk was quick and explosive. Gronk's more of a Mm -hmm. a builder of speed now. And people are playing for that. So none of those underneath routes really apply to Gronk. It's got to be throws up the field. And so that limits what you do offensively. And I think that's the challenge for New England. And then defensively, they can't get off the field. They can't get off the field. On, they can't even get the third down. I mean, in the Detroit game, they had a hard time just getting the third down. Mm-hmm. I, I think what New England needs to do is, is stop playing Hightower at linebacker and just make him a defensive end because when he's at linebacker, they're really slow. And so they need to play him down as a defensive end. Just make him a nickel rusher. Put his hand in the dirt, mm-hmm. make him a nickel rusher because that's the only thing they're going to be able to get out of him. They're not going to be able to get space plays and they got to get more, they got to get faster guys on the field on defense. Today, this week, they're playing Tannehill. Tannehill's foot quickness will give him trouble. Tannehill moves around. Tannehill makes plays with his feet. And when a quarterback can do that, that's a problem. They're going to have to rush Tannehill perfectly like they did to Sean Watson in week one. And then they could win the game. I want to ask you about the Sony Michelle era. There's a lot of people. Uh, one of the biggest things I saw um, during that game was there were so many people that were very upset. Uh, you know, a lot of Boston people followed me on Twitter due to the Bill Simmons connection, and people were just tweeting at me some of the worst things about how they feel about the Sony Michelle era and Belichick's dependence on him and his belief in him. And uh, I, I just wanted to ask you. I mean, is there anything? Are, are there good signs that you see for Michelle? I mean, obviously, there's some hesitation in hitting the hole. There, there's just been a lot of feedback and a lot of conversations. But, I mean, is Belichick going to believe in the rookie and keep this thing going and try to build him up? Or is it one of those things where maybe they look elsewhere to try to find a back, like you were saying, a possession back like Dion? You know, I mean, they got too much invested in him. They drafted him in the first round, and I think they're going to have to... He missed so much of camp. You know, that's the trust factor. You know, Brady has to trust the back. He's got to feel like the back can can do where he's supposed to be, the receivers. I mean, Cordell Patterson runs the wrong route. You know, Cordell Patterson's mm-hmm. always going to run the wrong route. He's never going to... Brady is <laughs> never going to trust Cordell Patterson. There's just no chance. There's no chance. You know, and so now they went in the game with three receivers. I mean, it's hard to win a game with three receivers, especially against a team that you, you you need to throw the ball away from Slay. So, you know, you need to work on their other corners. This week against Miami, they're, they got to throw the ball away from How- Howard dominated them down in Miami last year. You know, he took Cooks out mm-hmm. of the game. He jammed the hell out of them and really made the ball go somewhere else. So that's the challenge. And I think Michelle's got to be a guy that learns more what to do, can come on and be the back that he was at Georgia. So far, we haven't seen that, but I think it's a little early, especially since he's missed so much of camp. Can I say this? I mean, we we made a lot of jokes, or at least I did on this past Friday episode. I thought that the the Patriots were going to, you know, put in Josh Gordon, and I thought they were going to run up the, the score on their former coordinator Matt Patricia. Um, you told me to to not quite uh, take it that far and to to watch out and see what happens with Gordon, and also to watch out and see what happens with Patricia because uh, that Lions team would be a team to to reckon with with the Patriots. And Mike Lombardi, you were right again. And uh, I mean, can we give Patricia credit, or is this again back on the Patriots more so than what the Lions? did. I think you got to give him credit. I mean, look, he doubled Gronk. He took Gronk out of the game, forced Brady not to throw the ball to Gronk, didn't let him run the ball, which was important, right? They had to be, for the Patriots, Mm -hmm. they went in there with a mindset to run the ball. They couldn't run it. And because they couldn't run the ball, they couldn't really make any plays. And, you know, and so you got to give him credit. And look, Matthew Stafford was always going to be a problem for the Patriots. They don't have anybody, they can't rush the passer. I mean, Blake Bortles look good against them. If Blake Bortles looks good against you, then somebody else is going to look way better against you. Uh, uh, Matt Stafford, if you put Matthew Stafford on Jacksonville, then they're going to probably win. They're going to win the AFC easily, right? So that when you put a good quarterback against the Patriots and he can make throws, 
it's going to be an issue until they can cover. They missed a lot of guys. Rowe didn't play. They had some guys hurt. Patrick Chung didn't play. That hurts them. It hurts them versatility-wise. Mm-hmm. Hurts their communication. So, look, I'm not. it's all, not all doom and gloom. I mean, it's not the end of the Roman Empire in New England yet, but I do think this Miami game and the Indy game will be a telltale sign on where they're going with their season. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we're going to take a break right here. Uh, those are the five performances that jumped out to Lombardi uh, in week three. And we're going to come back. We're going to talk about some of the biggest narratives of the week. And then, of course, give out some awards. Quick break to get a word from our sponsor, Game Time. Game Time is the top destination for last-minute tickets to live events, sports, music, and all kinds of shows. Game Time completely changes the experience of buying tickets to games and concerts, making it easy to get those last-minute deals. Unlike traditional ticketing companies who overwhelm you with so many choices and steps, the Game Time app shows you only the best values and makes buying tickets incredibly fast and easy. You can check out in two taps, and tickets are sent directly to your phone. To make selecting tickets even easier, Game Time shows you an actual high-res photo of the view from your seat. Join the over 8 million people across the U.S. and Canada who are already using GameTime. For $15 off your first purchase, visit usegametime.com slash NFL and use promo code NFL. That's U-S-E-G-A-M-E-T-I-M-E dot com slash NFL and promo code NFL for $15 off your first purchase. Offer is only valid for first customers. Again, that is usegametime.com slash NFL. We're also brought to you by Miller Lite. Look here on the ringer, we have our disagreements, but there shouldn't be any debate about this. Miller Lite is the greatest tasting light beer with only 96 calories and 3.2 grams of carbs. That's fewer calories than half the carbs of Bud Light. So there's really nothing more to talk about. If you have a real argument, let me hear it. Until then, stick with Miller Lite. Miller Lite, hold true. Back to GM Street. All right, we are back. Uh, one of our favorite segments that we do uh, is guess the narratives. Uh, now we're going to talk the narratives. There, there's a lot of stuff coming out um, uh, <laughs> of a lot of camps this week, but one of the biggest storylines uh, that we had going into the season, and, and Lombardi and I have always talked about this, one of our guys, Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans, we did believe that they would be a, a team to reckon with uh, in the AFC South, but Lombardi, the Texans go down 0-3, and uh, you said you were going to be done with them. Are you done with them officially? Oh, I'm so done with them. It's unbelievable. I mean, I've never seen a team shoot itself in the foot more. I mean, the first four drives of the game, they had penalties. Julian Davenport, I mean, the guy was a penalty machine for them. I mean, they got the ball first and goal at the five. Next thing you know, you look up, it's first and goal at the 25. I mean, it's unbelievable how they just shoot themselves in the foot. They have so many negative plays. I mean, people say, what's wrong with Watson Lombardi? You thought he was going to be great. You play, you play behind that line, see how great you are, right? You play when you're in third and 15 mm-hmm. half the time. I mean, their their offense is horrendous. I mean, Will Fuller is a legitimate big-time player. Hopkins is a legitimate big-time player. They got two receivers. They can't run the ball. The Giants just dominated them up front. They can't run the ball. They shoot themselves in the foot. They get behind on long distance. And then when their defense has to make plays, they can't make a play. They can't get a stop. And I think, you know, and I've been hard on Eli all year, and I'm not, I'm just one game is not going to make me change my mind on Eli. But I think Pat... Shermer did a great job with Eli this week. He moved the pocket. He changed the launch points. He moved them around, and he attacked a really bad secondary. Houston's secondary is atrocious. I mean, they don't have a corner that can cover. Jonathan Joseph's still their best corner. They can't make a play on the ball. And so they're playing at home. They, you know, I haven't seen Clowney make a play yet. I, I don't think Clowney's healthy. Mm. I know Clowney's a great player. I haven't seen him make a play yet. Watts playing better. Marcellus, I haven't seen him do anything. And I know he's a good player. They're not anywhere near they are. I'm done with them. If I ever bring him up again, Tate Frazier, take the gun out and shoot me. <laughs> I won't do all that, but I will say the Texans defense obviously misses a guy like Kevin Johnson uh, on that back end. and it, it just seems like they haven't quite been able to put it together in this game. I do want to talk about Eli quickly, though. 25 for 29, 297 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Saquon had a nice game as a rookie, 17 carries, 82 yards and a touchdown. Um, Odell, nine catches, 109 yards. This sort of looked like, right, the Giants offense that we expected to see from the get-go this year? Yeah, they did, and they moved him around. I mean, Sterling Shepard was really good. I mean, they got him, a, you know, they found matchups and they utilized him. I mean, they went after him. And so, you know, they did a really good job with their game plan. Like when you take like Oakland's game plan last week, I mean, Oakland really dominated Miami in the game. Miami had 13 first downs, right? Oakland was just kicking their butt up. Now, Miami made huge plays down the field. They deserved to win. I'm not taking that away from them. But Oakland's throwing the ball to Xavier Howard. 
the critical play of the game, they're trying to get the ball to Martavius Bryant against Xavier Howard. Like, that's not smart. Like, that's not smart football. Like, you're going to lose when you do that, right? Mm-hmm. You give the ball to Keith Smith on the fourth and one when you got Marshawn Lynch. That's not smart football. Like, you deserve to lose, right? Those two plays, you deserve to lose the game when you're doing that. And so, you know, whereas New York did the smart thing. They took advantage. They understood the matchups, and they went after them. The Raiders, they didn't. You know, the Raiders are two for five in the red zone. You know, they, they have horrible interceptions. They, they, they moved the ball up and down the field on. They were the better team that day, except they couldn't win the game. Couldn't make plays in the red zone, and they did dumb things. They kept going after Howard. Like, Howard's going to be their best cover guy. Go after everybody else on their team, and they didn't do it. It drives me crazy. Like, that's one of the things. You have some coaches in this league are scheme coaches, and then you have some coaches that understand matchups, and they set their game plan over the matchups. And when you watch a team like Oakland, who has some decent skill players going after Xavier Howard, even if Howard's trailing Cooper, then Nelson, who had a huge first game, first quarter, go give him the ball, right? Like, and it's fourth and one and the one, and you got Marshawn Lynch. Like, don't be, don't try to dick somebody. Don't, don't try to fool them. Like, just get the big guy and give him the ball or, or throw a pass. Don't give it to a guy who can't score a touchdown. Learn from Super Bowl. Always give it to Marshawn Lynch, uh, especially in goal line and fourth and one situations. Uh, Jordy Nelson had a vintage performance, six receptions, 173 yards, one touchdown. Um, I want to ask you just about, I mean, the Gruden era, the the 10-year, $100 million deal, obviously, it's going to get a lot of eyeballs, a lot of conversations, and, and a lot of people up in arms about things. But he, he starts out 0-3. You could tell that he was a little frustrated in his press conference. He, he brought up penalties and and the like. But you, you talked about execution and being able to, to go against the scheme. I mean, does that come back to Gruden? Gruden is Gruden just, you know, running things how he wants to run them and not necessarily going after schemes specifically because because it does seem that way a little bit, right? They're just sort of rolling the ball out there and seeing what's happening with, with who they have. The difference between John and Sean, Sean McVay's going after the players. J- John's running his scheme. I mean, John's scheme is, you know, he can run his stuff and it's good. I mean, I'm not disputing that with you. But to me, when you're throwing the ball to Martavius Bryant against Xavier Howard, you deserve to lose. The guy ran out of bounds. I mean, it was a horrible route. Then then the one route to uh, Amari Cooper, Amari Cooper gave up on the route. Like they just, he gave up on the route. Like it just stopped. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Howard got the interception and took it back. I mean, the Raiders lack talent, but they also lack some intelligence in terms of managing the game. And to me, that's a core problem right there. Look, I think Gruden's got his work cut out for him. The quarterback's really inconsistent. I think he's a lot, people think he's a lot better than he actually is. I think that's a problem. I think their offensive line struggles at times, but that there is no reason. I mean, they've led at halftime in every game and they've not been able to finish games out. And I think that's a concern. Will that come back on Gruden? Like, when does it get to the point where? We see some of these Raiders fans, or even we see Mark Davis, or or, or someone have you know pushback on, on the Gruden situation, or is it one of those deals where we understand where we got ourselves into, we understand we're playing the long game, we understand that John is still trying to build his version of the Raiders at this point, and and there are going to be growing pains. I think all that is is what's going to happen, but I think if you're John, you got to be a little bit more systematic in your approach setting up the game plan. Like you've got to be able to identify who the weak links are on their defense and go after them and wear them out. Just wear them out. And if you don't have any tendencies on offense, you can't be any good. You're fourth and one at the one. Don't give it to Keith Smith. G- give it to Marshawn. You got a chance to go up 14 nothing in that game. Give it to him. You know, make him beat, make make them beat you with your best stuff. Don't make them beat you because you're going to dick them. You're not dicking anybody when you get down there. We got to be, it's you got all these high-priced linemen. And you got this back that's hard to that's hard to tackle. Go after, let him score. You know, I, and so I think John's on. You know, John's on a honeymoon, but John's got to prove that he's adaptable. And so far, what we've seen from his offense hasn't been adaptability. It's still the same offense he's run before when he was at Tampa. And it could be one of those things where uh, the more familiar Gruden gets with uh, the current iteration of the NFL, I'm sure we can see uh, some of those old, uh, you know, impressive habits come back out. And, you know, Raiders fans will be, will be pretty happy with that. Uh, I want to talk about another big storyline, and that is obviously Clay Matthews has become uh, the poster boy for uh, taking down quarterbacks in improper yet, you know, proper fashion based on the old days. Uh, you know, Roger Goodell puts out this, uh, this statement that we, we strongly encourage all defensive players to not hit the quarterback ever instead buy them a drink um we we uh we're, we're in a situation right now where you know clay matthews takes down alex smith and and it becomes a penalty and obviously we had the same thing happen with mitch trubisky a couple of weeks ago with with clay matthews i mean uh, what's sort of the best approach on marty if you are a defensive coach if you are mike zimmer or one of these guys uh you know wade phillips 
whoever it may be, I mean, what, what is the message that you send and, and, and what is the message that the NFL is sending at this point? I mean, obviously, don't don't take your body and your weight all the way down with the quarterback. Try to keep them healthy. Try to keep them upright. But 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 that will that have a ripple effect uh, in how we see, you know, these offenses play out. And obviously, the, the, the defenders are going to uh, react in a certain way to all these penalties uh, getting flagged. Well, I think this take Fraser, I think the league has to stop talking and show and start showing. I think it's time now. We're all confused, right? We're all confused. Nobody thinks these hits are, are rough in the past or it's football, right? So I think what the league needs to do, mm-hmm. I think Al, Al Riveron needs to go out there and he needs to show Clay Matthews on a video what he was, should have done and, and let Riveron do it. Like you contort your body since you've made these rules and you think these rules are applicable really are. I mean, there are rules that apply on paper. They don't apply in, in there are theory rules. They're not reality rules. And that's the problem. And so make Riveron or make someone in the league office demonstrate on video, like just show me what you expected this player to do. If you can do that, I'll buy into the rule. But if you can't do that, how do you expect players to execute? How do you expect players to execute? Like usually when you rough the passer, you get fined. There's an unnecessary hit. Usually there's been no fines. Okay. So I haven't read where they've been fined for a a late hit on a quarterback or something like that on some of these. They're calling so many of them, right? And some of them are justifiable, Mm -hmm. but some when you land on the quarterback, I don't know what they want the player to do. So just show me. Show me exactly what you want the player to do. You demonstrate it and I'll teach it. And if you can't demonstrate it, I can't teach it. And it's really hard, too. I mean, I, I watched the Football Life, Lawrence Taylor, the NFL Network just put that out. And then you see you see what he was doing uh, as far as terrorizing quarterbacks. And obviously, you know, he is a totally different uh, thing with LT and what he was able to do as a sack, as a guy that would get all these sacks. But I mean, it's just a totally different time in football. Obviously, you know, the pass rush is a totally different thing. I mean, I brought it up last week, what Von Miller said, where, you know, he's not playing to hit guys. He's playing for the football. And, you know, that's that's sort of the way he approaches it. But, but it is interesting. We'll see... Uh, uh, what happens with with all this? It's almost becoming the new catch rule as far as uh, you know a, a point of discussion. Um, I want to talk about two guys, two new starters that are rookie quarterbacks that that have just been announced. The first one is who we brought up uh, on Friday when we talked about the Browns getting their first win, um, and that of course is Baker Mayfield. Uh, it is official. Hugh has watched the tape and he has decided that Baker Mayfield is now the starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. Lombardi, obviously, this is good news for Baker Mayfield, but in total, in tow, this is good news for uh, the Cleveland Browns faithful right? Yeah, it is. I think it'll be exciting. I think this is going to be a different week. I think last week against the Jets, I I think the Jets kind of got caught off by surprise. And when you watch the tape of the game, the Jets played really vanilla in the second half. They played cover three vanilla and they really never got after them. They didn't really do anything on Baker. And he, it was a preseason game in the second half. I'm not taking anything away from Baker. He did great. But I think the Jets were caught off guard. I think on a short week, the Jets were not thinking that Baker would ever come in the game. And this is where Al Davis was so good. Al Davis, she demanded that every defensive coordinator study the backup quarterbacks in the draft, study them, write reports on them, because if that happens in an instant, you got to be ready to go. And they weren't. The Jets weren't. And so this week against Paul Gunther and the Raiders, there's going to be a lot of different things that are going to happen on the road, crowd noise. It'll be a different element, but it's the right move. Now they can start developing the Baker Mayfield offense in Cleveland. The sooner they can do that, the more productive they're going to be as the year goes forward. So that's going to be great. And then I think when you see, you know, Josh Rosen, look, Sam Bradford's the king mm-hmm. of making money. He's also the king of checkdowns. The <laughs> offense is horrible. I'm not sure it's Mike McCoy's fault or Sam Bradford's fault, but look, the, they draft after this guy for a reason, you might as well play him. I mean, what do you have to lose, right? You're 0-3. What do you have to lose? Especially after that Bears loss in a game that, you know, was completely uh, there for the taking at a certain point. I mean, it, you you see that. And if you're Steve Wilkes, as your first year head coach, I mean, you might as well turn to the rookie uh, and see what happens there. Just some more narratives, bigger storylines that are going on. Uh, we brought this up a little bit earlier. But uh, when you look at that Rams defense and you look at Aqib Tlaib, he goes down with that high ankle sprain. And then obviously Peters is another guy that that's in trouble. I mean, is there any is there any cause for concern when you look at that secondary for the Rams? Or, I mean, are, are they able to kind of weather the storm for now and save those guys for uh, the real run in the playoffs. Well, I, I think the concern, yeah, I mean, they're not going to be able to cover people like they used to. And so Troy Hill's not mm-hmm. going to be the same guy. Uh, the, you know, Roby, Roby's not going to be able to cover guys. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be a challenge for them. You know, S- Sam Shields, 
can he stay healthy and who's had the concussion problems? Can he last for the next remainder of the games? But look, the Rams are going to win because their offense is going to get in front and their defense can rush the passer. And Wade's going to be able to make adjustments during the game, which is going to cause some problems. So, uh, I, you know, I think the Rams are so good offensively that they control the pace and the tempo with it. And that's what's going to make their defense. And he'll take the pressure off the defense. Absolutely, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll obviously keep an eye on, on that Rams team as we get rolling, and we're going to see uh, what happens in that Vikings showdown to see who really is at uh, the top of the NFC at this point. Um, another interesting thing that came out um, that that is a big talking point, we obviously saw the Steelers last night finally get back uh, on track a little bit with that win on Monday Night Football, but there, there is some rumors and some rumblings that uh, at this point the, ra- the Steelers are uh, you know, uh, thinking about the idea, or at least listening to offers uh, about the potential of trading and unloading Le'Veon Bell. Who knows how true that may be, but Lombardi, when you hear something like that, I mean, is there a team that sticks out to you or is there a situation that sticks out to you for Bell? And and if you are the Steelers, I mean, is this sort of the right time to do this? Because if if he's not going to be uh, 100% in, is it time to move on and, and be done with the Bell era? Well, I, I, it's just a hard one, Tate Frazier, because look, if Bell gets traded, he has to, you can't trade a player who doesn't, who's not on a contract. So that that can't. So he has to sign his tender. So if he signs his tender and he gets traded to the Jets, why would he sign his tender and go to the Jets when he can't get an extended deal until the offseason from the Jets? There's got to be a wink, wink here, right? There's got to be. Look, we're going to pay you X amount, sign the deal, right? And as soon as the season's over, we're going to pay you. There has to be that kind of wink, wink, or else why would he sign the tender? He's trying to make a statement by not signing the tender. So why would he sign and then get traded? Like. So there has to be some implication that he's going to get a huge deal. And then for if you're the, if you're the Jets or you're pick any team, right? If you're a team, why would you give up more than your third round pick to the Steelers? Because that's all they're going to get in the compensatory pool anyway. So why would you mm-hmm. overpay for a player that you really don't know? It's the Teddy Bridgewater situation. The Saints paid a third. You know that if they lose him to free agency, they'll get a third back in compensatory. It may not be the same third. It may take a year, but eventually they're going to get their pick back. So. To me, this becomes a little bit more complex, more difficult to handle. So I, I think it's it, it, it's it's important that you know people understand that this has got to be you know to trade a player, he's got to be under contract, and I think that's hard. Look, I think the Steelers should go to Bell and say, look, we are going to trade you. Tell us what teams you want to go to, and we will trade you to those teams. You work out the contract when you get there. We promise to trade you when you come in. We'll, we'll I'll tell you when the trade's official. Then you can sign the tender and you go. And work it out with the agent. That's the only chance you have. Because technically, Tate Frazier, no team is technically no team is allowed to call the agent about Le'Veon Bell. His rights are reserved to the Steelers. So the conversation has to be to Bell's agent. Look, tell us what teams you want to go to. We'll trade him to one of those teams. When I tell you we have the trade, have the kid come in, sign the tender. We'll send the tender there, and you guys work it out from there. And what kind of full faith does that take from Le'Veon's perspective? Because what happens if he goes in, signs that tender, and then the Steelers decide the next day that they, they're not going to trade him? I guess he just doesn't show up and doesn't play. But, I mean, uh, there's there has to be a little bit of trust there too, right? Yeah, you got to have some kind of trust. You got to have some kind of trust. You know, you can't just go into it blindly. You got to have a trust. Say, look, you know, I trust you to do it. And then, look, here's the deal. You can then say, I give you permission to call the Jets to confirm that we've made an agreement with them. And then once you do that, Mm. you've got it. All right, before we move on, let's take one more quick break. Football season is underway, and I'm sure a lot of us already have major regrets about our season-long fantasy teams. I know I do. It's like you spend all off-season researching and getting excited for the season, and then comes the pain. That's why I'm so excited to be playing on FanDuel all season long. At FanDuel, you get the excitement of researching and building your team each week. Every week is a new season, so regardless of the outcome, you get to do it all over again. FanDuel has never been more fun or easy. It's the place to play if you're not a fantasy expert. FanDuel has something for everyone, and there are more ways to win than ever before like their gridiron pick them contest every week it's a free contest and all you need to do is pick winners no spreads and 10k split amongst the top pickers new users get a 20 dollars bonus when they make their first deposit on fanduel come play with me right now at fanduel.com slash the ringer that is fanduel.com slash the ringer back to gm street Let's get to awards, Lombardi, right? Are, are we there? Are we ready for awards for the week? For week I think three? we are. Yeah, let's do it, Tate Frazier. Who's going on the lamb? Who you got on the lamb? Who needs to bring their toothbrushes? 
for right now, a guy that needs to go on the lam is Jason Garrett, the clapper himself, right? I mean, we, we got to talk about the fact that this offense is the worst offense in the NFL. Dak Prescott has not thrown it's over 185 yards. It's coaching malpractice, Dave Frazier. I mean, what the, what did they do this offseason? Tell me what they did in their offices at that beautiful facility down in Plano, Texas to, to say, okay, what are we going to change? How can we create different schemes to help our players? Like, tell me what they did. Like where is it? Like I don't see it. Patted like, themselves on the back, clapped. I don't know. A lot of a lot of those things. Maybe I don't know. I, it, it did. Jason Garrett did come out and say Scott Linehan. He's not thinking about taking the play calling away from him. Well, why would he? Why would he? It would get like all these people that say Garrett should start calling plays. It'll only get worse. It's not going to get better if he takes over the play call. What a joke that is! Like at some point, like well, at some point, Linehan hmm. was there because Garrett couldn't do it. Like, you know, like that's why I call him the clapper because what does he actually do? Like, what does he do? He continues. You know, does he just he yell at the, the team? I mean, yeah. like, so like uh, to me, they, they're horrible. I mean, to get, to not be able to get Zeke Elliott involved in some form of the passing game, you know, they had no idea really how to attack the coverages down there. You know, their offensive line doesn't play nearly as good. I, Look, I think their defense is good enough to win with. They play hard. They play fast. They're well coached. Offensively, it's a whole other story. And uh, Ezekiel Elliott, we should say, 16 rushes, 127 yards in that game uh, against Seattle. Jerry Jones came out and said that uh, there was no significant changes that would be made at this point. Uh, Dak Prescott is continuing to struggle. Uh, again, cannot throw over 185 yards in, the, in his past five games that he's that he's played with the Cowboys. And just just in general, that offense uh, looks lethargic and uh, looks anemic. And uh, uh, the best that they looked was against the Giants for a little bit. But but since then, they, they've been pretty empty. And it, it doesn't seem like any massive or major scheme changes are on the way for Cowboys fans or people that uh, were hoping that was going to happen. Jerry Jones, Jason Garrett, and the whole brass there in Dallas seems uh, seems set on what they have. Um, for you, Lombardi, is that right? Is the clapper the one who's going to have to go in the lamb or is there anyone else that stood out to you? No, I mean, look, Jerry likes the clapper. He, he He's there for a reason because he does what Jerry wants him to do. I mean, he's there for a reason mm. because Jerry ultimately, he's the GM. I mean, that's what they want. That's what their organization wants. That's what Bill Walsh said to me in, 2000, in, in 1980. It's in the book in 84. They're only competing against eight because the cultures and buildings can't win. The culture in Dallas has proven it can't sustain winning. It just can't. They, they'll, you know, they, mm. they bring Parcells in, got them a new stadium, but they couldn't do it. They, that's not what the culture they wanted. The owner wants to be involved. And because he's involved, he, you're not going to be able to do all that. He's involved day to day without real football knowledge. And, and when he sees the product on the field, he really doesn't know. It's like we st started this podcast talking about why'd you win, why'd you lose? Well, they lost that game in Seattle in the offseason. They lost that game in Seattle back in March and April. They didn't lose that game on Sunday. They lost it back in March and April. And they've lost the games that they've lost this year back in March because they've done nothing in their offseason to modify or change or develop a new way to get the ball. Tavon Austin, anybody who tells you Tavon Austin was going to be their playmaker is smoking, is smoking <laughs> some really good shit because he couldn't do it anyway. He's never done it. So... You know, anyway, we better move on here. The Fred Palermo uh, Award, I'm going to give it to the, the Miami Dolphins because I think Miami has mm. won three games this year. I don't think they're any good as a team. I really don't. I, I mean, I thought that, you know, I, I, but I give them credit. They make unbelievable. They made big plays down the field. They don't lose the game. They keep the game. They, they do smart things in the game. I think Adam Gase has done a good job of, of helping Tannehill, and they've come up with this little offense that they have, and Grant's been a big explosive player. Kenny Stills getting down the field. So they made four explosive plays in that game. They didn't lose it. They played good in the red zone. I think that's why they're undefeated. I think the Miami Dolphins are living proof that you have to avoid losing before you can win, and that's what they've done. And they've and they've done it basically seemingly with no running game. I mean, with Drake and Gore. I mean, those guys are. I mean, Tannehill's probably their best runner at this point, especially uh, in that Raiders game. He was the number one option. So it's been really interesting to see uh, that Dolphins team put all together. That is uh, all kudos to Adam Gase and and those guys for getting Tannehill back. Next up, we got the KGB Award. Uh, Lombardi, what team was uh, taken aback this week and shocked at what they saw? I mean, I I'm thinking Minnesota, but but who stood out to you? I think it was Chicago, too. Look, I mean, all these Bear fans that are just hoping that Trubisky's going to turn around. What I did part of my take, they wouldn't let me say a bad word about Trubisky, which I understand they love him, and they have to. Uh, I mean, I know Big Cat does because he's a, he's a Bear nice. fan. And, 
you mm-hmm. know, but I mean, look, the guy, the guy's going to have to take some time. And I said then on that podcast, I, look, you got to hope that he's Steve Young. You got to hope he's such a good athlete that eventually it'll click for him, for Trubisky. That's what it has to be because when they go on the road, no matter who they play, that offense is going to struggle a little bit. And the more people watch the tape of the offense, the less effective it's going to become. And you got to give credit to Buffalo. They duped Minnesota bad, right? They duped them big time. So you got to give them credit. Absolutely. Uh, next up, we got Can't Tell My Courage from My Desperation. Uh, who was it this week, Lombardi? Uh, I think I think the I think the Packers defense is terrible. I think the Packers defense is so uh, hit or miss. It's mm-hmm. Rolodex defense. It's just spin the wheel, call the play, see if they can't stop the run, can't stop the pass. They never make a team play left-handed. They've got some decent players, but they play so many schemes, they have no technique or fundamentals. They do so many different things, they're never really good at anything. You know, so they can't get it nailed down. I mean, this Packer defense to give up to give up 28 points in the first half to Alex Smith to get the ball thrown over your head because you're really playing a coverage that should take it away, but you can't execute the coverage. You know, to, I'm sure on Monday morning in Green Bay, they said, well, we had it right. You know, we had the right coverage call. We just didn't make the play. Well, you know, that's because the fundamentals are so bad. I, I think Green Bay's defense is really hasn't gotten any better. I think it's I think it's disappointing, and you know I think it's got some players, but I mean Matthews keeps getting called for the penalties, which we talked about. But for the most part, I mean they can't really stop anybody. Yeah, and uh, you can't rely on Aaron Rodgers to do everything for you, um, and, and that's sort of the situation that they've been in for the past couple of years. The final one of the week, final award of the week. If you don't know, now you know. Lombardi, what do we know after week three? Well, we know Wentz is back, right? Wentz is back, and 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 the most classic example of Wentz being back was the game is on the line. It's third and eight. The Colts call the perfect blitz at the perfect time. Perfect. They got mm-hmm. two guys going to tackle Wentz in the pocket for a loss. It's going to be fourth and 15. They're going to have to punt. And what does Wentz do? He breaks the tackle, converts to first down. That's Wentz. That's why he's great. That's why he's so unbelievable. Perfect defense against the perfect play, and he still makes you pay for it, and you just lose your mind. I thought the Colts were great. I thought the Colts did everything they could. I think the Colts, if they had to do it again, they had they had a third down play in the goal line. They should have probably run the ball there. They try to throw the classic fade in the end zone. That They should abolish that play from football. Just get rid of it, right? But... <laughs> I, I, I mean, Wentz being back, the Eagles are not a great team right now. They go to Tennessee this week. Their defense played great in the red area again, which helped them win the game. Wentz being back, he took a beating. I mean, he took a beating, Tate Frazier, in that game. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. he came up smiling, but his body was hurting. And if he keeps doing that, I worry for him. I really do. He took some hits, and he's going to have to bounce back. But I thought, you know, he's back, and the Eagles, third and eight, no problem. We'll convert it. And it, and it seemed like as soon as Carson Wentz kind of stepped back in that lineup, that the championship Eagles team, it seemed like that confidence and the moxie behind them uh, was back with Wentz under center. I just have a few more notes before we get out of here. Uh, carry on Johnson, 16 rushes, 101 yards, first 100-yard rusher for Detroit since 2013. Thought that was a pretty interesting tidbit. Calvin Ridley, a guy we talked about earlier in the year, a rookie. Uh, we were trying to see if he was going to step up. He has seven receptions, 146 yards, three touchdowns this week. Yeah, that was a that that was a good game because they were trying to take Julio out and PJ Williams couldn't cover Ridley. They had to make the change. They went back to Crowley. That was a hard one. Uh, uh, you know, Ridley's done a good job, especially considering people were down on Ridley this summer that maybe he wasn't going to be the guy, and now all of a sudden he's turned it on. That really helps Atlanta tremendously because it takes the pressure off Julio. Absolutely. And then uh, the final one, my guy, Christian McCaffrey, 28 rushes, 184 yards uh, in a win for the Panthers, 31-21 over the Bengals. Um, I, I have to say this. I mean, I, I was very unsure uh, that Christian McCaffrey could be a number one option, number one back, but he has run uh, and looked more physical and more dominant this year than I would have ever expected after his rookie season. So Christian McCaffrey, kudos to you, 28 rushes, 184 yards, as I said. Uh, you know, Tate Frazier, I like to comment on that. I, I think I think if you're any young player listening to this podcast or if you're any young coach or anybody, I think McCaffrey's a great story. He went into the offseason understanding what he needed to do to become a better player. And he mm-hmm. tailored his work habits to do that. And just watching him on tape, the way he's breaking tackles, the way people can't get him on the ground, that he's not a light back, that he's adjusted himself, to me, is a tribute to the kid. I think it's impressive. I think it's awesome. Because he knew what he needed to do, and he did it. He set a course for him. He was the guy that planned it and went ahead. And I thought he was really good at it, and I, and I appreciate it. I think that's the thing. Identify what you must do, and then work on it. And we open this podcast up with that whole theme. Figure out why you won. Figure out why you lost, and attack it. Most people can't. 
Well, we uh, we attacked this podcast. We attacked week three. I enjoyed uh, discussing all this stuff with you, Lombardi. I, I, I know it was uh, it was a very interesting re- week. I, mean, I don't know how much we can really take away long term from what we saw, but uh, obviously some major storylines and, and some interesting uh, uh, scores came up uh, this week for a lot of people. Uh, is there anything else we want to hit before we get out of here? No, Tate Frazier, but the young player this week that I like, that kid at Carolina, the defensive lineman, I think is Ob- Obaday. Is, he never played yeah, yeah, college yeah. football before. Had two, I don't know how to say his name. He was outstanding in the game. He was impressive on tape. And then I, I love this Taysom Hill, the quarterback from BYU, the Saints have. I think this guy's really fun to watch. I think he's amazing. He's a great kickoff returner. He's a good red zone quarterback. I think he's a fun player to watch. So those are my two young players of the week. Yeah, the ultimate utility guys, the guys that step up uh, in the final hour and make things happen. Uh, I will say, I, uh, I'm i very excited to be back Friday. I will be back in studio with you and we'll be able to uh, to knock this thing out. I'm sad that I wasn't able to be at Tony P's to watch these games. I'm I'm staring out right now uh, into the ocean and uh, <laughs> it is hard to beat Lombardi. I miss you, and uh, but uh, but I'm, I'm not too sad right now, but I'll be excited to be back on Friday and see your face. Enjoy it, Tate Frazier. Have fun. Thanks, buddy. All right, we'll see you. This has been another edition of GM Street. We will be back on Friday to give our picks for week four. Thanks for listening. Thanks again to FanDuel. Football season is underway, and that's why I'm so excited to be playing on FanDuel. FanDuel has never been more fun or easy. It's the place to play if you're not a fantasy expert. FanDuel has something for everyone, and there are more ways to win than ever before, like their Gridiron Pick'em Contest every single week. New users get a $20 bonus when they make their first deposit on FanDuel. Come play with me at FanDuel.com slash The Ringer. Again, that's FanDuel.com slash The Ringer. Thanks for listening to GM Street. We will be back on Friday.